Hey everyone, welcome to the Bookish Filmish Podcast, Read, Watch, or DNF, where Mel B and Jackie D break down book-to-screen adaptations, one drunken podcast at a time. And we ask the question, is the book always better? And of course, if you haven't already, please follow and maybe give us five stars. Content warning for this episode, we will be touching on some sensitive topics such as sexual assault, incest, torture, murder, and animal cruelty. On this week's episode, we're tackling the Swedish book-to-screen adaptation, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, which follows a disgraced journalist and an edgy hacker girl who happen to have a dragon tattoo as they investigate a nearly 40-year-old disappearance and ask the question, and I know everybody else has this question, what happened to Lisbeth's eyebrows? No, seriously, what did happen to her eyebrows? All right, welcome back, everyone. This is our second episode. We're going to be talking about the girl with the dragon tattoo. Last week, we did Devil Wears Prada. We got into uh, some champagne, some wine, some mimosas, kept it fancy with some brunch. Uh, This week, though, we're changing it up a little bit. To fall in line with this uh, Swedish adaptation, I went ahead and found it's a glog-spiced wine, uh, and we happened to just put a cup of vodka into as well. You put some oranges, some cinnamon, some different spices. You put on the stove and warm up. It's actually really nice right now because it's snowing. Not that it's nice outside, but it's snowing. So I it, this drink tastes like Christmas. So it fits with the uh, the outside, fits with the story we're going to be talking about today. Um, and it's actually pretty good, but it, I think it might be dangerously sweet. Because I don't taste any of the wine or the vodka, and I'm pretty sure this is going to put me on my ass. Jackie, what are you drinking? (laughs) I am drinking vodka with a ginger-flavored sparkling water from Wegmans. Uh, It's poor man's mule, as I like to call it. The vodka is actually from Belmont Farms Distillery, which is kind of southwest of here, for anybody Mm. who's seen the show Moonshiners. And southwest of here means uh, we're in northern Virginia. Uh, but it's on the uh, the guy that makes it that owns the, the distillery. His name is Tim Smith. Cool. I'm I'm drinking it because you know vodka, and I can't bring myself to drink vodka straight. So yeah, and it's not Russian vodka either. Just so everyone it's don't come Virginia. At us. It's Virginia vodka. Yeah, it's not it's not Russian. It's American made. America. Uh, last week we found a drinking game, and I tried my hardest because. It was my week to find the drinking game. And there wasn't. There was a coffee drinking game for for this movie and the book. Uh, but we don't we're not doing coffee in the show. <laughs> so I thought we might give a go and create our own drinking game. Put a little bit of uh, thought into this. So I think you could have a pretty worthwhile drinking game watching the girl with the dragon tattoo if you drink every time someone is on a computer. If you drink every time Lisbeth is in a room and not making eye contact with someone. There was actually a step in the, or a piece of the drinking game last week that you're supposed to drink every time Stanley Tucci talks to somebody without making eye contact. So that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm telling you, if you follow this one to the T, I have a feeling that's really the only rule you need to follow. Or you drink 
every time someone is drinking coffee or asks for coffee or makes coffee, that could be a rule in itself. And I think if you were to follow the coffee version of this drinking game, you would not be able to sleep for at least three days. No. If you do the alcohol version, maybe you don't end up in the hospital like with the last week's drinking game, but I think you could feel pretty good after that. There are there are two adaptations of the book, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. There's the original, which is the Swedish version. And I believe they did all three movies to follow all three books. And the Swedish did. Uh, yeah. We did not do the Swedish version. We did the American version with Daniel Craig and Rooney Mara. So that is the movie that we're going to be talking about. The Swedish version, we did some research into it. It has really good reviews. Um, the actors are apparently amazing in it. It stays very, very true to the book. And it has just really well-received reception across the world. So if you're interested, um, give that one a go. But that's just not the movie that we're talking about in this episode. The premise of it, like we said last time, one of us watches the movie first. One of us reads the book first. And then we swap. And it's all based on the premise. Does the order in which you take in the content, change your opinion about it. This week, I watched the movie first. I watched it on Netflix. And then I read the book. Um, and I, I read the paperback, which is the 644-page paperback by... Oh, I think his name is Stieg Larson. Steg, Stieg. If I'm... If I am butchering his name, I'm so sorry. That's going to be a trend in this show. We're just not, we're not good at it. We're not good at the Swedish, Swedish names. So I watched the movie first on Netflix. I actually had to watch it twice because I realized the first time I was watching it, about halfway through towards the end, I really had no idea what was going on. Um, And I, I may have been distracted by TikTok. So I went back and I watched it again. And I really paid attention and I took detailed notes and I, and I understand it now. I understood the story. Then I jumped into the book, which is the, like I said, the paperback, 644 pages. Stieg Larson, probably saying that wrong. It was published by, it's called Vintage Crime Black Lizard Vintage Books. And it's a division of Random House. It was published in 2011 and it was translated. This is the version that was translated by Reg 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 Keeland in 2008. And I would say in terms of translation, I don't believe I had any parts of this book where I was like, oh, that sounds foreign other than just the names. Uh, So a really good translation into English. And also, it was my second attempt at tabbing. And I don't know, Jackie, does it look like I did better this time? It looks uh, very organized. It looks a little bit precise. more, right? Okay, it looks more organized. It looks uh, a little bit cleaner. I don't know if anyone follows us on social media, but I did post some pictures of when I tried the tab, the Devil Wears Prada. Uh, it was a disaster. Um, now, this one definitely looks better in terms of precision, but I have to say that I, I ran out of one set of tabs. I wasn't prepared, so I had to like find a second tab, and they are not the same brand or same style. So... <laughs> it's a mess but it's okay i mean my my my, st- my tactic is getting better i read first uh kindle edition because that's what i read it's just easier to carry around it was the 2008 edition published by alfred a knopf which would be the german pronunciation 
and it's part of Knopf Doubleday Publishing Group division of Penguin Random House. So same parent company, I guess, just slightly different yeah. offices. We still don't understand this and publishing then the mo- thing. Oh, no. <laughs> There's so many different prints and and offices and locations and names and all this other stuff. Uh, and the movie also on Netflix. But I found out one of my interesting facts later on, um, and I will highlight it once we get to that point, was related to the uh, translator. Oh, my translator? Into English. The Reg Thielen one? Mm-hmm. Oh. He's he's the one that yeah he's the one that translated the book in general into mm. English, uh, but I guess there might have been some contention between him and the publishers. Oh, when it first came out in English, yeah, that's interesting. Considering like, dude, it's just your mm-hmm. job to translate. And you're not the okay. All right, we'll get into that. I, I mean, I have no issues with him. I think I think he did a good job. <laughs> it was easy for me to read. <laughs> it would have been nice if. You know, what? I'm not even going to say it. I, or maybe I was going to say it would have been nice for some of these names to have been simplified, but that's it's a Swedish story and trying to change the name that's probably not the right approach to that. But it was difficult for me. <laughs> Let's talk about the movie and the book, just the overarching stories of them. The movie was produced in 2011 by Columbia Pictures. It was directed by David Fincher. Um, I did look him up. He's done a lot of big stuff. So I think that's why there was so much hype for when this movie came out. uh, Because they were looking forward to it. They're like, oh, David Fincher, David Fincher. But we'll talk about it. It kind of fell flat. The movie itself is rated R. And it's rated R for the following. Brutal violent content, including rape torture, strong sexuality, graphic nudity, and language. And I think they forgot some stuff because there's definitely some extra things in there, like the cat, which we'll get into. It did win an Oscar for Best Achievement in Film Editing, which I think, I don't really know what that means, but when I hear film editing... Um, I would assume it's, you know, after the fact they're going back and they're cutting and splicing things back together and they're <laughs> finding mistakes. And things, or I, I would assume it's something like that because that's what the word edit means. I'm not, again, Jackie and I are not the smartest when it comes to this, so we might be wrong. But I found a lot of goofs when I was researching this movie. So I want to argue that maybe it did not deserve this in <laughs> editing because there's a lot of stuff in here. Uh, that almost rivals the editing disaster that is The Wizard of Oz, which we can say for a little time. But when it comes to that movie, there's just like, you can go back and see all the little uh, tidbits of just things that were not edited properly. And this movie is an example of that. Rooney Mara, she was nominated for Best Performance by an Actress in a Leading Role. She didn't get it. She did win some other like SAG awards and things later on. The film overall, when it comes to awards, did do pretty well. If you look it up, it it, it was nominated for a couple for the Academy Awards, but then later on, um, like SAG and things like that, Directors Guild, um, Academy, it, it, it did win a lot and it was nominated for a lot. The estimated budget for the movie was $90 million. It grossed worldwide 232.6 million. 
And this is why we only have one American version and we didn't get the two other books because I, I guess this is not a good outcome for grossing for opening. I don't know. Or money making for the whole movie. Cause they, they didn't, they scrapped it. Cause there were plans. I think what I read is that it came into contract that they had in their clause that they were going to continue on with the second and third and that it just did not do well and they, they scrapped it. Overall, the movie, for an overview aspect, it follows Mikhail or Michael. It's Mikhail. Again, we are going to butcher every single one of these names except for maybe Lizbeth. Uh, so it follows Mikhail and Lizbeth. They're working together eventually in this movie to solve a mystery per se it, it could be a murder it was a disappearance we don't know yet until the end of the movie um, so they're working together and then i think the movie sort of centers around this relationship that blooms between the two of them bloom is a weird word to use for it i would actually rather call it a situationship than a relationship uh, it's one of those things to me i think that's a an accurate Word. Yeah, situ- yeah, situationship because yeah. I, I feel like they. I don't know if there's an attraction. I don't think the movie really touches on that. They kind of just they're working together. They, they they get together, and then that's it. And then we'll talk about the ending. And there's some stuff that comes up where you question if you were paying attention to this situationship slash relationship at all. Because at the ending, I realized I was way more invested in this than I. Th- thought I was throughout the entire movie like literally in the last three minutes of the movie I'm like I didn't know I was this affected by them why am I like maybe almost crying (laughs) (laughs) we'll get into that uh some interesting facts about this movie that I looked up this is Jackie and I doing our research phase uh in the movie this is what I'm talking about with the editing okay so for example Sweden I guess had well not guess I read it said that Sweden up until 1967 had left side driving. So they were like uh, Australia and the UK and they were on the left side of the road. They did not um, move over until after uh, September 3rd, to be precise, in 1967. So that means in the movie, when they have that incident on the bridge, that takes place in 1966 the cars are on the right-hand side and they're right-side driving cars. So the, the editor of this article was like, it seems to the, the on this island they adopted the right-side driving before the rest of the country, if you follow the movie. <laughs> they're progressive. Yeah. Another thing, editing-wise now, I'm going to focus on this editing issue, is when we first meet Lizbeth in the movie... She, you see her coming in on her motorcycle. You know, she's a badass bitch on her motorcycle. She parks it. She starts walking into the building and then sits down to have the initial conversation she has with Armonsky and Frode, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, But you'll notice she has a full-on mohawk. Like, full, Mm -hmm. spiky, badass mohawk. And I'm going, I thought it the first time I watched the movie, even when I wasn't paying attention, I looked at her and go, how did you have that mohawk under that helmet? <laughs> <laughs> and it didn't show her like stop at the bathroom or anything to fix it. Um, and that's a lot more work than just a, a bathroom drive by throwing some hairspray. That's that's not how mohawks work. 
So again, maybe it's maybe it's a magic helmet, kind of like Hermione's bag oh, in Harry Potter. It's just there's <laughs> just so much space, space in there. Yeah, yeah, that it can fit the mohawk, and then maybe when she takes it off, it automatically fixes anything. I don't know. We just in one instance changed this movie from a contemporary thriller to a sci-fi movie, fantasy sci-fi, yeah. with her yeah. mohawk. Uh, You're welcome. <laughs> So I have some other interesting facts here. Uh, Stellan Skarsgård is in there. Everyone knows him as the Skarsgård dad. Um, Alex Skarsgård being, you know, the most <laughs> the most beautiful. Uh, he's in this movie, and he said in an uh, interview, he said in the, his 20 years of acting, this is the first time he was able to sleep in his own bed while shooting a movie. Because where they filmed the movie was like, 15 minutes away from where he lived. All right, Jackie, we're talking about the book. Yeah, it was actually first published posthumously because the author, Steve Larson, he dropped the manuscripts off with his, or gave them to his publisher or editor and died shortly after in 2004. And uh, he died of a heart attack. Apparently he was a heavy smoker and he loved, loved, loved junk food. Oh, and he was walking up to his apartment and had a heart attack, which, which is not, not funny. We're not laughing. Pleasant. No. <laughs> I didn't realize uh, but, he was yeah. published after. I knew that he died yeah. before because I know he was supposed to write more books. I didn't realize that all of them were published after he died. Yeah. Uh, he died in 2004 and they were not published in Sweden until 2005. Mm-hmm. And even later here in the States yeah. in English. Yeah. 2008. Uh, and you found this fact. It was the novel was originally titled Men Who Hate Women. Mm-hmm. And it still holds that name in its original Swedish. Uh, but obviously in English, they transferred or translated the name to or changed the name to The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Which is weird. Uh, because the, the girl, second. Yeah. The name is perfect. Yeah. Girl, whatever. The Actually, the second book that he wrote is the only one where they kept the name the same. Or no, it's the third book. The, the original nest? name of... Was it Hornet's Nest or something? The girl who, who kicked the hornet's nest or something? Yes, because it goes the mm-hmm. girl who played with fire, the girl who kicked the hornet's yep. nest. And then there's a fourth one, but it's written by a different author to, to finish out the series. It's a girl in the spider's web by David yep. Lagerkrantz. Uh, One of the other facts that I found was that Larson set most of it in northern Sweden because that's where he spent a lot of his childhood. And his companion, Ava Gabrielson, Mm -hmm. called the area the godforsaken places at the back of beyond. Oh, you know what? That actually makes sense now when when we get into Mikhail and Erica's relationship. And how much she hates it when he's up there and all like, like brutally so, so much to the point where I was like, we get it, bitch. You don't like it. (laughs) Jesus. She's a city girl. So he's probably basing it off. I think he's basing this book off of, or the main character, I should say a little bit off of himself, uh, personality wise, features wise. And then uh, this sounds like his girlfriend. He's basing it off of there. Yeah, there's another one that I'm not really going to share because it's just, it's a bit much. (laughs) Uh, It kind of calls into question the integrity of the author himself. Oh. Yeah. Um, Something 
saying that the book, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, or Men Who Hate Women, is ultimately linked to an experience from when he was 15 years old where he witnessed an acquaintance being gang-raped by three people. I didn't know this. This Sorry, everyone. This is the first time I'm seeing this. Jack and I are putting together outlines, and I I didn't see this part. So this book, it, it goes back to what I was just saying. He really did base these characters in this sort of overarching theme of this of this novel is is kind of based in reality for him um and what i'm reading right here we're not going to get too much into i think you can look it up but because it's violent indeed and it really does sort of draw into question um this author's integrity i'm not going to say he's problematic i mean he is dead so i'm not going to speak ill of the dead but this is i don't like this he so Lizbeth is a name of someone he knew who was brutally attacked. And he sort of like relives this in the book with the same name of this woman. Yeah, and it's further complicated by the fact that one of his colleagues later told Rolling Stone that they did not necessarily believe this story that Larson would tell because this colleague claims that Larson told them that it was a story that he had heard secondhand and passed it off as his own. Why would you, why would you make up a story like that? That I I don't know. That's twisted. Ooh, this is twisted. Mm. (laughs) Uh, But the last one that I found was um, related to what you said earlier about the translator. Mm. The English translation, apparently according to the guy that did translate it, this reg, Keeland. Um, he felt it was needlessly prettified by the person who worked for the British publisher. Uh-huh. And because of that, uh, when they were going through editing, he demanded that he be, um, what was it, credited under the pseudonym Reg Keeland. Oh, it's not even his name. No. So he wants his credit. He is... just doesn't want like actual credit for it. Yeah. His name actually is Stephen T. Murray. Oh, we're going to call and him anyway. Was, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's in Wikipedia. So take what you will from that. For whatever all, the internet sources. says. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, the internet never lies. Uh, but he also said that the English release changed the title, which we've already discussed, yeah. uh, even though the author, Larson, specifically refused to allow the Swedish publisher to do so. Oh, damn. Yeah. And the size of Salander's dragon tattoo uh, in the Swedish versus the English version. And we see this especially in the movie because you can actually see it on our back. But in the original Swedish version, it was an entire back piece. Oh, not just like it's I think it's like on her kind of shoulder on her uh, and then, yeah. um, shoulder blade in the back. Right. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, that's weird. I mean, that would have been really more badass. To have her have just a whole back piece. Oh, yeah. I mean, she's so... Cu- the, the tattoo itself, if you look at images of the... Like, Runa... Rooney... I'm going to keep calling her Runa Mari. I'm sorry. Rooney Mara's uh, character pics. Like, it's... It's still a decent-sized tattoo. I don't know why you need to make it smaller. Like, yeah. We're already... They're going out of her way to make her seem like she's just out of her fucking mind. Excuse me. Oh, uh, by the way, our F-bombs this episode last week they were dedicated to jackie's mom 
the apologies. This week, uh, we're going to dedicate them to Brian. So, Brian, if you're listening, all the F-bombs, we we apologize in advance, and we'll try to keep up with them for you. Uh, (laughs) No, what I was saying is, like, the... In... We're going to get into this about her character, but in the book, they... Not in the book, in the movie, I should say, they really try to make Lisbeth out to be just stone cold, absolutely out of her mind. They even come up with this crazy story about her dad, which we're going to talk about, which is not in the book, to make her seem even more unstable. So, like, why do you change the size of a tattoo? (laughs) Well, I actually found out the whole thing with her dad. It's in the later books. Oh. Yeah. But I felt, I guess, I guess they felt that in the first movie they needed to take some of that stuff and move it to the first movie just so that people might have, I don't know, more of an explanation of why she is the way that she is. Because I think in the movie it comes out, he just straight up asks her towards the end, how does somebody become a ward of the state? But I feel like it's more complicated. (laughs) Okay. We only, I only read the first book. I have not read the other two. I don't know if I'm ready to read the other two yet, but so I don't know. One day. One one day. day. But basically in the movie, they bring up a situation about her dad um, that she like set him on fire. And that's why she's crazy. Like the movie really goes out of there, really, really tries to make you believe that she is absolutely out of her fucking mind um, and not stable whatsoever. I think even more so than in the books. So that's why it's just funny for them to be like, listen, um, we can't really do a full back piece. That's just that's just too much. I mean, we are going to talk about how she set her dad on fire, but it's not really that feminine for her to have a whole back piece. What? Anyway. (laughs) Of course, Jackie and I found some reviews that we that we uh, related with that we thought you guys would think were funny. Uh, the issue with this adaptation, the book and the movie, is the people out there writing reviews, it, irrespective of one star, five star, three star, it, it doesn't matter. They are like full dissertations on either the mm-hmm. book or the movie. They have some long ass reviews. Where one, I'm wondering, like, get a hobby. Do you have nothing else to do? Because these are long. And I mean, I've read some, you know, a couple paragraph reviews where people just really want to get their opinion out there. And I respect that. But these are so long. Like if you were to copy and paste it into a Word doc, it'd be like a page and a half, which I feel like on IMDb and Good- Goodreads is just a bit much. You're basically rewriting the story at that point. Uh, so <laughs> I'm going to let Jackie go first with the book reviews. Okay. On Goodreads, there's the five-star rating scale, and this book averaged about a 4.15 out of five. Uh, there's, That's pretty high. Oh, yeah. There's two point, almost 2.9 million ratings. You say million? However, yes. However, Damn. there are only compared, and this is going to sound crazy because I'm saying only with this number, but mm-hmm. compared to the number of ratings, there are only about... Uh, 71,950 reviews. So people who actually took the time to sit down and write their thesis <laughs> of their opinion on this book. Uh, and like Mel said, it was extremely difficult to find concise reviews of this book because everybody feels the need to 
give the entire plot and then tell you why they did or did not like it. That's only two percent. Uh, hmm? That's only two yeah. percent of the ratings. Yep. reviews that's okay yeah sorry the number was interesting to me yeah and people overwhelmingly like this book uh like i said it averaged about 4.15 out of five uh 46 percent of those reviews were five out of five 33 was four out of five 13 percent was three out of five uh four percent was two out of five and only two percent was one out of five um i mm. think there might be kind of like a peer pressure thing going on people might be afraid to put a negative review on there because they don't want to deal with backlash uh but a five out of five i found uh somebody said i put off reading the series for ages but honestly a chapter in and i was hooked uh, I don't think a book has drawn me in as much as this one did. Absolutely brilliant. So high, high, high praise. Mm. I picked that review because I felt the same. However, it took me a lot more than one chapter to get hooked. <laughs> I was talking to Melissa about this the other day. When you read a Kindle edition in the lower right corner of the page, it gives you your percentage of progress. Mm-hmm. When the book finally clicked for me, when it was more than just, you know, Michael made a sandwich for himself and then <laughs> somebody stopped by and they made coffee. Uh, I looked at the percentage and it said 51%. Yeah, there's so definitely was, a lot of buildup in the book for sure. Yeah, I was just past halfway through the book and it finally clicked. But I will say that I would also give this... Uh, Well, I think down at the bottom, we cover this later, but Mm. the rating for the book, it would be almost up there. Uh, Not quite, but yeah, it was, it was really good. Uh, Then this other one that I found, a five out of five, and this is just a partial of it. uh, It says, if you are looking for an adult dark read with no romance, I recommend this book which I don't necessarily agree with that part. With yeah, no I romance. Yeah. I mean, because in the... Yeah, go ahead. At the end of the book, she is going through manically cleaning her apartment and all this other mm-hmm. stuff, and then she actually comes to the realization when she's reflecting that she loves him. And either she loves him or it's like her first friend. It, yeah. It's weird. It's definitely complicated. That's why I definitely don't describe it or label it as a relationship i would say situationship but i could see the but okay no romance but there's a lot going on because yeah mikhail's sort of a slut i'm just gonna put it out there so i guess it's not necessarily <laughs> romance but it, it there's stuff going on in it like what is he talking about all right whatever five yep. out of five got it you liked it yeah they they gave a little list of things or tips for reading the books like the book is slow just take your time don't do the audio version uh too many swedish names to keep up with so that was one i picked for you mel so if you do audio and they're just throwing all these names at you you're like i actually need this family tree printed out next to me just so i can keep everything straight i was almost Uh, tempted to pull up the audio just so i could hear the names because i knew i was just in my head saying them wrong and i was telling jackie earlier i i got to the point where i just started giving them nicknames and it's not a bad thing. I just, it was so distracting for me because I really didn't know how to pronounce them. So I just, nicknames. 
But my favorite part of that review itself is at the very end, the person says, still one of my all-time favorite reads and my perfect beach read. Who is going to the beach and bringing the girl with the dragon tattoo and laying there when you're trying to enjoy your time and relax? Yeah, I don't... I don't. I would not categorize this as an easy, light, sit in the sun, drinking mai tai kind of read. Yep. I, I mean, I'm not against bringing it on vacation, reading it on the plane or something, but uh, whatever you do, you. This is what okay. Yep. No, no judgment. <laughs> and no the last judgment. review, yeah, the last review that I found was a one out of five, and again, there are over. 70,000 actual reviews. It's very long. I highlighted a couple (laughs) aspects. Yes. This person did not like this book at all. One of the things they say, did Oprah make a bet with somebody that she could pull strings and make the most boring book in the world a bestseller? That's one one aspect. Calling out Oprah. (laughs) That's how angry they're calling out Oprah. Yeah. Beloved of the world into this. <laughs> okay. Yep. Uh, another part of that review, here's why I don't like it. I am about a third of the way into it. So this review is being written before mm. they've even finished the book. So just uh, for and perspective, li- this review is probably longer than the first third of the book. That's how yeah. long this review is. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and literally hundreds of characters have been introduced. Not one of them has done anything interesting. So I am finding it nearly impossible to keep them straight. Hundreds of characters? What is he talking about? There's not even a hundred characters in the whole book. Yeah, I know. Uh, and then the very, very end of the review, uh, this person says, I am truly bitterly resentful of every minute I am stuck on the side of this mountain without a good book to read because they went on a camping trip and this is the book that they brought. Oh, he's on Uh, a mountain. Yeah. I'm ready to browse the mini mart down the way and read the real estate magazines instead. Why have all the reviewers and Amazon steered me so wrong? I am not trying to insult anyone's taste. Yes, you are. So please don't get mad about my opinion. But if you love this book, please tell me why. What am I missing? Um, I would think that all of the five-star reviews that you read are telling you exactly why they liked it. That, and maybe if you're like me, it takes getting through half of the book, not a third, Mm -hmm. a half. Before everything starts to click. So maybe don't write a review before you finish it. But I can understand at this point, like I'm Jackie and I've had this struggle for a while where we're finally getting to that point where we will, we will DNF. We will not finish a book because why waste your time? If you're just not enjoying it, you're not, just put it down. Unfortunately for our podcast, um, we're not going to do that because we've made a commitment to, to finish both adaptation and book for all of you so that you don't have to DNF it. And we're going to tell we're going to give you our opinions and uh, other people's opinions on maybe what they prefer. So the only thing I can say in defense of this review is that if he's a third of the way in and he's just not liking it, 
maybe put the book down and walk away. I can also understand that he's. this is probably the only book he brought with him to that mountain. So he's probably pissed. And he's like, I don't have anything else. I feel like you didn't prepare then. You didn't plan ahead. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, getting to the 50% mark and then having a book finally. And 50% here, we're talking about a 640-ish page book. That half of this book is basically like a normal book on its own. Mm-hmm. So you read a whole book and still didn't like it. And then you had to read a whole other book to finally get to it. So I, I empathize. But again, just maybe just put the book down and walk away. Yeah. And then don't write a book length review telling <laughs> us why you didn't like it. All you have to do is give it a one out of five. Mm. Could only get through a third of this book. Not interested. DNA. Yeah, because he really does go in to say, to insult people that did like it, including he insulted Oprah, which I feel like you've already just ostracized yourself at that point. Uh, yeah. So it really his review is not so much even about the book, it's about the people that like the book. That's who he's angry at. Mm-hmm. So, okay, dude, sit down. He even yeah. has a little part in there where he complains about the bookstore employees, because they recommended it to him. Oh, and. <laughs> He asked why they recommended it, and the cashier responded with, oh, well, our manager tells us every week what we're supposed to recommend. So what he's saying is he's getting angry at some teenager that's working at a par- at a bookstore and mm-hmm. is just trying to do... Oh, my God, dude. Sit down. Let it go. Yeah. Right. I went to IMDb. Now, remember, IMDb is out of 10. So overall, the movie got a 7.8 out of 10. So that's nearly an 8. That's pretty high. And again, this does seem to be like how Devil Wears Prada was, where the IMDb and the Goodreads, irrespective of each other, are are similar. So they're about, you know, that top end. uh, So people that watched the movie and read the book, they they both enjoyed it. Uh, It doesn't have quite as many reviews as... The book, it has about 452,000 user reviews. Again, remember, we don't care what the critics have to say. So 452-ish thousand user reviews. 35.9% was 8 out of 10. That was the majority. It was 8 out of 10 for this movie. 10 out of 10 was 11.2%. And then 1 out of 10 was only 0.9%. So that was at the lowest. So again, people overall generally enjoyed this movie i i i couldn't even find reviews where i could put the whole thing in there because there were just none that were concise enough so i most of these are just the titles because i thought the they were funny but 10 out of 10 this one is a bit concise it goes awesome movie with a great fight scene and car crashes just as good as the book 10 out of 10 and i put i put a note in here i was like did a 10-year-old write this? Did a 10-year-old boy write this review? No offense to it. I just thought it was funny that out of everything that happens in the story, they're like, fight scenes and car crashes. And then I had to think. There's only two. Yeah. There's the one and, on the bridge back in the 60s. And then there's You the didn't one... even really see. <laughs> no. And then there's one at the end. And then the fight scenes. I'm like, who's fighting? I wouldn't call being chained up and beat on as a fight. No. That would be you being abused. Right? The only thing that I can think of would be when the guy tries to steal her bag in the subway. 
And again, it wasn't even they're a on fight. the escalator, and... but it was just people shoving each other around and playing tug of war with a bag. I would call that a struggle. Yeah. Not a fight. But he liked yeah. it. Whatever popped out, he liked it. 10 out of 10. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling maybe maybe he really wasn't watching. I don't know. He liked it, though. Or she. It could be she. 10-year-old girl, 10-year-old boy. Another 10 out of 10, and I wrote down this title, was A Tour de Force of an Adaptation. A Tour de Force of an Adaptation. <laughs> what? So it's a, I don't know what that really means, um, but there was one part of this that I actually, I took out of the review because uh, I agree with it. It's, it's a lot of people that were giving it negative reviews because they're saying, hey, it really sort of departed from the book. It's not like the Swedish adaptation, uh, blah, blah. And they're giving it negative reviews based on that. So this is what this, this reviewer is referencing. Because he goes, no one would bat an eye to a new version of a Shakespeare play or a classic novel. So why should this be different? And I respect that. Because it mm-hmm. is an adaptation. There is room for creative liberties. And not all text translates you know in film or any sort of visual media or even in person like a live performance so i i get it but i thought that was really clever what he wrote you no one would bat an eye because it's absolutely true like think of how many adaptations there have been of romeo and juliet that are, are definitely not true to the play um you have uh, like emma clueless is based is based on emma from jane austen so that is not a word for word adaptation either but everyone loves it and nobody's critiquing it saying well this is supposed to be based on emma or 10 things i hate about you is um was a taming of the shrew taming of the shrew yeah. like that's based on that and nobody's batting eyes so i i think that was a very astute uh, comment there i did find three one out of tens that i want to share with you i thought they were pretty funny very uh volatile for the most part first one one out of ten pretentious misogynist christophobic torture porn (laughs) that is the title of this review for this movie which by the way literally was like three pages long i i copied it over and put in a word doc and i was like this is too much we don't have time for this but pretentious misogynist christophobic torture porn fair fair i can i can get behind that I wouldn't maybe label it that, but sure. Next one. Just showing solidarity with all the others who realize what an abortion this version is. What? Yeah. He called this adaptation an abortion. Okay. One out of ten. And he's only, and there really wasn't a ton of uh, text after that. He was just, or she, I keep saying he, I don't know why. Um, maybe we should title this podcast, Women Who Hate Men. I'm just kidding. So, <laughs> It's an abortion, just showing solidarity with all the others who realize what an abortion this version is. Okay, got it. Last one. One out of ten. Worst movie ever. Then he goes on to say, okay, this movie makes no sense whatsoever. Why even waste time and money making it when there already is a Swedish and original series of movies made? Fair. But again, I'm going to go back to our, our astute colleague up, to, up top with the other review where it's like, it's an adaptation. Get mm-hmm. over it. But he goes into here and say, he goes, it's, or she, who knows. 
It's filmed in Sweden. All the names are Swedish. Newspapers are in Swedish while everything is in Swedish except the language. What's even worse, some characters even have a fake Swedish accent. Most of them because they're not Swedish. There's only like a couple that are actually Swedish. It's because if they now had to make an English version, at least film it into England or the U.S., which I actually thought was pretty interesting because if you're going that far off on this adaptation and following the story, you could have easily placed this anywhere else in the world. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, so I, I was like, you know what? I I can get behind that. It says, use English-speaking actors to watch this version is like watching an American a World War II war movie where the Germans speak English with a German accent. <laughs> he goes, and yes, I have seen the Swedish version and I am Swedish, so I know what I'm talking about. I don't really think that last statement gives um, you credit to say that. I think it clearly shows that you're biased in your opinion. Well, and here's, here's the thing too. I am Swedish. Yeah. Does that mean that you are from Sweden? Or oh, you're just like any other American who five generations ago, somebody got off a boat from Sweden and settled in Minnesota or something. And you trace your heritage back to Sweden. Yeah. I don't know. It's funny. To I think did that read something in Sweden. Yeah. I, I did read something uh, about the accents because they draw on that so much in this review. Mm hmm. People had huge issue with Rooney Mara's accent. Yeah, they said it was more Russian. Yeah, and uh, Daniel Craig said, essentially, this is stupid and just kept his normal British accent. He didn't yeah. even attempt it. I mean, there's a little bit. You can hear it, but he's not going. I actually, when I first started watching the movie, I was like, he doesn't sound like the rest of them. Mm-hmm. So that's funny. He's like, <laughs> he went through a whole movie, a $90 million budget movie going, fuck it. Sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, Daniel Craig. Okay. Moving into major characters, there wasn't a whole lot of deviation between the book and the movie, but I noticed that in the book, uh, the three main ones that you see a lot are going to be Michael or Kale. Mika or Mika, whatever. Mika, yeah. <laughs> Lisbeth and Henrik Wagner. I keep I keep wanting to say Wagner, but Wagner. You're saying Wagner? Yeah. I've been saying Wagner. Is it not Wagner? I don't know. What did they say in the movie? <laughs> I don't remember now. I I don't know. Okay. But then other characters are going to be Erica Berger, Martin Wagner or Wagner or whatever. Uh, Cecilia really. The entire family, because they're either talked about or actually there. Uh, And Cecilia plays a much bigger role in the book than she did in the movie. Uh, Armansky, obviously, um, I really like the actor who plays him. Uh, He was in uh, ER. He was also in Practical Magic, another book to movie adaptation that are so incredibly different and now i kind of wish that i picked that as one of the adaptations we're doing next oh, month for my birthday too late you already picked your yeah. too late yeah they're they're set in stone money's been yeah, spent i already i've already ordered the books you can't go back yeah now. yep and well later on down the road maybe we can visit practical magic uh, dirk <laughs> dirk froda 
what I said in my notes, and this is how I felt, uh, especially after watching the movie, is that they all seem to exist in the book to help move the story along. They're not mm-hmm. necessarily minor characters, but they're not necessarily at the forefront. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I would say they they have a bigger role in the book because for me in the movie, Mikhail uh, or Michael, whatever, Blom, Blomqvist? Yeah, Blomqvist. Oh, we're so horrible. Um, he was played by Daniel Craig, and I have a question. I really is Daniel Craig attractive? <laughs> okay, um, I find him attractive. Maybe it has a lot more to do with how he carries himself. Is it because and... he was Bond? Or is the Bond? presence? Yeah, I guess maybe that might have something to do with it. I remember it's the like one those scene. character he plays. Yeah, I, but yeah, like if you saw be. him, if you didn't even know who he was, and we were just out like on a white girl wasted Wednesday, and he was sitting across the bar, would you would you make a note of him? Would you lean over and be like, Matt, look? Mm, would you? Probably not. I feel like I wouldn't. And I don't want—I don't want to say he's a bad-looking guy. I feel like he's just average. And even his body—he's got like even in Bond when he's supposed to be all ripped up. I feel like it was just in a like an above-average dad bod. And that's he's definitely a, a departure from him as Bond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. then we we have wrote in here that he gained weight. That's what mm-hmm. he did because he he wanted to make it clear that he was a journalist and not Bond. And I go, sure, dude, whatever. Okay, so he's fine. He's he's not a bad-looking dude, but I feel he's one of those male actors in Hollywood that he's been force-fed down our throats in these sort of, like, super alpha, highly manly characters that were like, oh, like our ovaries just given, I guess. I don't know. Lizbeth Salander, Salander, I think it's Salander. She says her name mm-hmm. in, the, in the movie, but it might be wrong. She's by, played by Rooney Mara. And I, I think she was an awesome fit for this character. And I like it because Elizabeth is a major character, but Rooney plays in a way where it's, I think Daniel Craig and Rooney play well off of each other for the mm-hmm. way that I, once I read the book, how the, the characters play off each other, um, where one isn't like overshadowing the other, which was nice. So... Henrik is the other one. He's played by Christopher Plumer, Plummer. And I actually just... I didn't realize he passed away last year. Oh. Yeah, February of last year he passed away. So that's... Um, he has a massive career. He's been basically in everything. He's mm-hmm. one of those that's like uh, Morgan Freeman. That's just every movie he's in. Even when you don't even realize it. Um, then Martin, I would say, is the other major character. And I, I, I put Erica down for me in the movie, but just barely because it provides some plot points and sort of drives stories and or situations forward. Um, the rest of them, like Armansky, Fre- uh, Freuda, whatever his name is, Cecilia, in the movie, they, they're there, but they don't really do anything. They have a moment. But I feel like if you just took them out, you could still do what they did with the movie. And that oh, doesn't yeah. mean that what they did with the movie is great. I just, maybe that is telling where you could pull these characters out, which should be major, but they're not in the movie. And if you pull them out, they wouldn't do anything. But I do want to make a note of, there is a character in the book. I'm not saying he's a major character, but he was 
big enough where they casted him for the movie. And that is a uh, Joel. What is his name? Oh my God. Kinnaman. Kinnaman. Yeah. Uh, he's like altered carbon. He was in suicide squad. He's just a beautiful. He's one of those where he's a beautiful man. If he were sitting <laughs> on the opposite side of the bar, I don't care what he's done with his life. I would lean over and be like, Jackie, Jackie. And probably at that point, cause it's wasted white girl Wednesday. I'd probably be louder. He'd most definitely hear me telling Jackie how beautiful he is. And I yep. would be fine with that. Yep. So it, it's Christer. It's a uh, Christer. Where did I put this? Uh, he is not a huge character in the book, but he is one of the partners of mm-hmm. the magazine company or not my, or the publishing or whatever they have the magazine that yeah. Mikhail and Erica run. He's a partner. So he's one of three. He's, he's casted in the movie with Joel, but he does nothing. No, he just stands there in the background and like nods his head at one point. <laughs> what? Yeah. And I was excited when I started watching the movie because I hadn't read the book yet. And I thought, Oh, Oh my God, he's in it. Obviously he's going to be around. And then uh, nothing, nothing. And he's maybe, so beautiful. Maybe he was one of those pieces that wound up on the editing floor. Probably. Again, we yeah. go back to the Academy Award it won. It's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> the edited Kevin, <laughs> Like, no. he did, That was the craziest thing for me because I saw him because he's in one of, probably within the first five minutes of the film, you see him in the company like headquarters and he's just standing there beautiful and godlike. And then that's it. They do nothing mm-hmm. with him after that. So anyway. He was also in a show that I watched called The Killing. Yes. Yes. That's a good one. That was an excellent show. Yeah. That is a good one. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Talk about dark. Yeah. 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 Uh, so Martin, Martin v- uh, Vanger. I'm just going to call him Vanger. I'm gonna, not going to butcher this anymore. So Martin Vanger is played by Stellan Skarsgård. But I always put him down as the Skarsgård daddy. Because that's mm-hmm. what he is to me. Because all of his sons are absolutely amazing. They're beautiful. Even the mm-hmm. one that was in Vikings, who's kind of older and like, well, he he played uh, Floki. Yeah. yeah. To me, I, I have this weird thing. Like the other one, um, Bill Skarsgård, the one who played Pennywise and he yeah. was in Hemlocker. I think I would pick him over any of the other ones. Even him and his lazy eye. I don't. <laughs> I think he's beautiful. I mean, and then there's there's. Uh, Tarzan son Alex Skarsgård who's probably mm-hmm. the most beautiful but I feel like he's so beautiful he's unattainable where Bill Skarsgård is like if I saw him at a bar I could pull him that's my yeah. toxic trait to think that I could it's probably not it would never happen but I like to think I could where with Alex Gar, I'm like you know what I know that that's unattainable so I'm gonna go for the second brother <laughs> So Scar, and then Erica Berger, 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 she's played by Robin Wright, who, if you don't know who she is, that's Jenny from yeah. Forrest Gump, Jenny. And I, I made a note, we're going to talk about the casting for this movie, but last week, if you listen, I went on this whole tirade about Kim Basinger and these, these actors, and I think Naomi Watts was one of them, where they're just blonde and they blend into the background where they are great, talented, remarkable actresses, but they don't warrant me remembering their name or what they're in. And mm-hmm. Robin Wright is one of those. And the only reason I know her name is because she had that one role as Jenna from Forrest Gump. And that's yep. it. 
So no matter what else she does, she will always be Jenna. And here mm-hmm. she was, was watching the movie, and he walks into her office, and there she is, Jenna, with a fucking, sorry, Brian, a d- d- disgusting fake Swedish accent. <laughs> and then I had to look her up to make sure of, like, wait, is she? Is she European? And I didn't know, because there's a lot of those. There's a lot of, remember, right? There's a lot of actors and actors where you see them in American movies, American shows, and they have these like, crazy, you know, just normal American accents. And then all of a sudden you see them in their natural habitat and they're, they're talking all wild and British. Mm-hmm. So I had to, I had to go check. Um, that happened with me with uh, Henry Cavill. I didn't realize that he was British for oh, a while. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I found out a long time ago, so I, I'm, I've had time to adjust. Not that there's nothing wrong with it, but it was one of those where I don't know what I had seen him in that I didn't even consider that he was British. And then all of a sudden I was watching an interview and I was like, no way more <laughs> hot. So I had to look her up. No, she's, she's not Swedish. She shouldn't have that accent. Casting for this movie. I overall, and again, I maybe because I watched the movie first, I didn't think there was anything crazy casting-wise except for Robin Wright. And when I did look it up, apparently David Fincher, he was that was the only person he wanted to play Erica Berger. And I don't know why. Because the character herself, I feel like you could put anyone in there and it would have worked just fine. It's like a you don't need a big actress. You could put a no-name. I could have played her. I think it would have been just the same. She's just a, like a flat character who... I what what is like what does she even do in the book or the movie? I feel like she's just there so he can have some booty call buddies. And yeah. She's married. It's like this weird, cringy relationship that she has with um, Daniel Craig's character, uh, Mikhail. But that's it. She she helps him run the the magazine. But I feel like there's no other defining characters or personality traits of her that would warrant special casting. I think you could have just walked out on the street and picked anyone, irrespective of hair color, height, uh, eye color, accent. They, they well, don't in the, speak in, in the book, the character is the money behind Millennium. Mm. And also, I think Michael even says at one point or in his internal monologue, and Mel knows how I feel about characters and their internal monologues. She's like, shut up! <sighs> Um, he talks about how she's essentially the face of Millennium. So she's an attractive, wealthy woman who does have a brain. Mm. She does have some legit input in the company and the, the content that goes into the magazine and things like that. But she also serves the purpose of being the face of the magazine. Uh, yeah, sure. I'm going to go back to anyone and you could take an Alicia Silverstone from last week's cast lineup and taken her and put her in that. I uh, would have been like, all right. Or maybe an actual Swedish actress. Yeah. How that, about that? That might have worked. Any Swedish actress said just anyone, anyone. But whatever. It's fine. Robin Wright did fine. Nah, whatever. So Lizbeth, let's talk about her. I pulled up who was considered or who was contacted to play. So it was originally offered to Natalie Portman. To play Lisbeth. And I didn't automatically cringe at that. Because Natalie Portman does have range. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like she probably could have pulled it off. It would have been a little jarring to see her in such a... Almost like dystopian-like character. Because Lisbeth gives off those vibes. And I think Natalie Portman could do it. 
Uh, I was trying to con- uh, think of roles that she's been in that were similar, and I, I couldn't really. A lot of the roles she plays, except for Black Maybe Swan, she- was pretty dark. Yeah, that was dark, but that was like psychotic dark, not mm-hmm. I don't like people dark. That was manipulative dark. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she has range. She definitely does. Uh, I was thinking about her when she was younger in The Professional, but she was only like 12 in that movie. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, the, but she declined it and her reasoning was to ex- exhaustion. I was going to go in and look up what she had been doing at that time, that 2011. The only thing I can think of is, is that like Star Wars time that she was doing those movies? No, that came much earlier, I think. Oh, really? Yeah. Anyway. Natalie Portman didn't want to do it, so bye. Then, Scarlett Johansson. This is David Fincher, the director's reasoning for not consider, uh, for not taking her or, like, giving her the role. Is they considered her too sexy. And I, I do believe she is tiny. She's only, like, five foot or five one or something like that. So, height-wise, she, she does fit in with the book's character, Elizabeth. And I think in the book, it describes Elizabeth as being only, like, 4'11". She's super tiny. But the issue with Scarlett Johansson is that Scarlett Johansson is voluptuous. She mm-hmm. has meats on her bone. She's not fat by any means. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying she's got curves and Elizabeth is not supposed to have curves. Like they describe in the book as almost looking like uh, childish, anorexic. Mm-hmm. So Scarlett Johansson does not fit into that. And I would not want to actually see Scarlett Johansson try and play that role and maybe get down to that size, that to me would just be sort of traumatizing. And I'm kind of happy she didn't take that role because I don't want to see that. Other one was Jennifer Lawrence. Mm. That's that's a strange one. And I'm just thinking, is this like um, Hunger Games? And you got to, this is what I was thinking. You got to keep in mind when you're looking at who they're considering, because for movies where they have sort of a larger budget and they want it to be a big box office hit, the care the actors are going after are probably because they are big at the time. Mm-hmm. So you have Natalie Portman, Scarlett Johansson, Jennifer Lawrence. These are big names around that time because they do have projects considered. Jennifer Lawrence ultimately is too tall. I think she's about five nine, five ten. So mm-hmm. definitely, and I think she might actually be almost as tall as Daniel Craig. So you can't have that because uh, God forbid a male actor has a female actress that's taller than him in a movie. Can't have the box <laughs> every time Tom Cruise has to stay on the box next to someone. Yep. Uh, so she was or, too tall. Uh, what's his face? Um, Robert Downey Jr. had to wear lips the entire time he was filming all of the Marvel movies as Iron Man because seriously, Tony Stark. Yeah, if you pay attention when you're watching like the Avengers or anything yeah. like that, you'll notice that his height compared to everybody else is still shorter than everybody else. But if you look at his feet, you can tell that his shoes seem too clunky. I'm going to have to look at that now. I didn't realize he was that, that short. I mean, I'm not, I I never thought he was super tall, but well, yeah, you got Chris Hemsworth in there. Yeah. All right. Chris Evans. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 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 Yeah. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence was too tall. uh, So she was ultimately rejected. And then Rooney Mara, it came up. It, that was just so strange to me. Cause you have Natalie Portman, Scarlett Johansson, Jennifer Lawrence, and they're like Rooney Mara. And, and it's not that Rooney Mara is not a, a big actress, but comparing her to those three, she's, I would not put her in the same category. So I wonder what happened where they're like, well, I want all these like, you know, a list actor actresses. And then also how about this one? I feel like somebody must, have, or maybe she put in for her, maybe her agent made her put in for it. Um, I just thought that was interesting. Funny I think fact, it's a valid choice. 
Yeah. She's just tiny. because she's got the same body type. Yeah. Any of those other names, which, by the way, I think Natalie Portman around that same time frame, Black Swan had come out. So mm-hmm. from what I understand, that was an extremely trying film mm-hmm. to do. And then also the first Thor came out, I want to say, in 2011. Oh, yeah. I can yeah. see why she's exhausted. I can understand the exhaustion. But with Rooney Mara putting her into that role... People did not have, I don't think at the time, a preconceived notion of the type of characters she should have played. Mm-hmm. And I think with all of those other ones, I'm going to tell you right now with uh, with Natalie Portman, I would have been thinking about uh, the Star Wars and mm-hmm. possibly Black Swan. Uh, with Scarlett Johansson, obviously she was never in the running for it, but I would have been thinking certain things about her and, you know, not really being able to connect to the character that way. And then Jennifer Lawrence, obviously, Hunger Games, things like that. So Katniss, what? Yeah. Before they did give the role to Rooney Mara, though, uh, the director made her go out, get basically shit-faced, drunk, and then come back the next day to do the, the casting. In order to convince the studio, so David Fincher had already kind of picked up on her, was like, you know what, I think this could work, but the studio wasn't sold on her. So David Fincher said they need to convince the studio that she could play this strung out Lisbeth Salander. So he asked her to go out and get really drunk and then had her come back the next morning after a night of vomiting and took pictures of her in her hungover state. <laughs> and I think actually you can Google these pictures, they have them. Um, as far, and it's just her looking a wreck. <laughs> but man, you got to be, you know, like just committed to your craft. If somebody's like, listen, I, I'm going to need you to be at your absolute lowest. And I need you to come in here. I need you to physically get out of bed and come in so that we can critique you. I, I don't know if I could do that. I would have like, been oh. an emotional wreck. Yeah. And then you'd be like, you got it. And then I'm like <laughs> going into the deep depression. Okay. Last week, we had a field day with the female uh, actresses that they considered for the role of Miranda Priestly. This week, though, I, <laughs> I think it's the opposite because the male actors that they considered for Daniel Craig's character are great. So listen to this. We have Johnny Depp. <laughs> Johnny Depp was considered for Mikhail. And I'm just... <sighs> I don't know why. I don't know what he can do. I'm trying to think of the characters he's played. I mean, he definitely has range. He's done a lot, but I feel he's more like a method actor. You're not Mm going to see him. He gets real deep into a character, and I don't think Mikhail Blomkvist required that. And I don't think that Johnny Depp is necessarily capable of playing a normal person. Because we have Jack Sparrow, we have Edward Scissorhands, we have mm-hmm. uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Sweeney uh, Todd. What else? Oh, Sweeney Todd. Yeah, I think the closest mm-hmm. he ever gets to playing normal is in the another adaptation, Chocolat. He mm-hmm. plays uh, the gypsy guitar player. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The yeah, Donnie Depp's not doing it. Mm-mm. I'm going to skip this one and go back to it because t- I think it might work. The other one is Brad Pitt. Mm-mm. It's just Brad Pitt trying to do a Swedish accent. I'm, I'm good. I don't need it. I also think he's maybe it's a little too pretty. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's too pretty. I'd just be distracted the whole time. And then George Clooney. No. Nope. I think George, he, again, he's a great actor. I mean, he's done a lot of great stuff. But, if, but also, I think he was just so big of an actor. These are all huge actors that they would just overshadow the character itself. 
Yeah. Right? I agree. Uh, it would just be George Clooney in the movie. It wouldn't be Mikhail Plumkis. Now, mm-hmm. the last one, though, I think this could have worked. Viggo Mortensen. I agree with you. And actually, when I first saw that list, I saw that name and hard no on Johnny Depp, Brad Pitt, George Clooney. But Viggo Mortensen is a definite possibility. Mm. I think he really could because he's done so many different things and he can also blend into the character and it's not Vigo. Like I never watch a movie with him and go, oh, that's Vigo Mortensen. I always remember him as the character mm-hmm. where that is not what I think actresses like Kim Basinger do. It's not, I don't even remember the character. I just remember that there was something there where Vigo mm-hmm. Morton is, Morganson is, you remember the character that he played. Yep. Moving on to the plot, uh, we've already alluded to this or flat out said it. There were a lot of differences, I think, between the book and the movie. One thing that did not change was the flipping coffee, which I think the movie did not do justice to the role that coffee plays in the book. Seems like anytime anybody went to anybody else's house, it didn't matter what time of day, coffee was made every single time. So much coffee. Nobody slept in that movie ever. (laughs) Or the book, I should say. Well, the book, he would stay up until 2, 3 o'clock in the morning and then sleep for a couple hours and then wake up and then start reading again and drinking coffee. That's the book. Before we get too deep into this, can we just discuss how European of a schedule these people have where, I mean, they're not even getting up to like nine o'clock and as normal. They're like, well, I'll get a, don't, don't come to my house before noon where yeah. I believe here in America, we are so hung up on like, I mean, even Jackie, and I, when we go to work, we go fucking early. Sorry, Brian. And then we're out early and then like we don't want to mess with people for the rest of the day. But mm-hmm. they're in the total opposite. They're like, I'm going to stay up. We can party until three in the morning or have coffee. And then I'm going to sleep until about nine. I'll have breakfast around 10 or 11. And then I'm going to start my day. Yeah. And then we'll have dinner t- like tonight at eight, eight o'clock. Which I'm like, what? Well, there anyway. was one point. There was one point in my past life where I worked with Norwegians it was difficult to get a hold of them during the day. Uh, we asked them once, we're like, when do you guys go into work? Well, when you see us, that's when we're coming to work. We're like, but how long do you work? They said, oh, well, only a couple hours. We said, why? He goes, we have to have time to plan our party for that night. What? And yeah. Every it night? Was, yes. They got wild. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, going back to the book plot. So we start off with Henrik is on the phone with Moral, who is the detective that was initially investigating the disappearance of Harriet. Mm-hmm. And he's received another pressed flower in the mail for his birthday. I think it's November 1st, which yeah, is it's his birthday or something. Yeah, which is also my mother's birthday. So oh, happy birthday. <laughs> yeah. And shout out to my mom and dad. By the way, they just had an anniversary. They've been married for 45 years. So, yay. Get it. Dad. Yep. <laughs> then we transition to Stockholm, uh, where I'm just going to say Michael, because yeah. America. Uh, <laughs> he is found guilty of libel. Mm-hmm. And this is where we get to one of the first major departures between the book and the movie. In the book, he is sentenced 90 days jail time and that hefty fine. In the movie, they make it a point to say, but no jail time. That's good. Yeah. Which, by the way, if you are going to have to do jail time in a 
place for a white collar crime, do it in Sweden. Oh yeah, it's basically they, just like a resort. They earn vacation time. Yeah, yeah. He even talks about it in the book where he's just when he finally comes back and he's like, "Well, it's just I got a lot of writing done. I got a lot of work done. It was just it was a hiatus for him. That was what prison yeah. was." Which up in, yeah, so the beginning of the movie with the flowers uh, and then the court case, it's you think at that point that the the movie's just following the book because it's almost verbatim how they're doing yeah. it. And then you get up to that point where, no, there's no jail time, but it does have a lot of a hefty fine. Actually, yeah. I think it's even more so because it says it's basically going to bankrupt him. Yeah, and that does that's not the case in the book. The yeah. fine in the book is a lot lower than what they say in the movie, which I think it was like 900,000 kroner in, in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's significantly lower in the book, and he's not too worked up about it just because he knows that it's not going to bankrupt him. They spend a lot of time in the book talking about how the magazine is probably going to struggle for a little bit, but it's not something that they can't come back from. Yeah, because they keep losing um, advertisers with yep. money. Yep. Which, which again, they, the book makes it more clear, has this case, this libel case, basically slander, because he publishes this article about like this billionaire in Sweden, basically call him out on like fraud and um, crimes against Sweden and things like that, which you've, it's very complicated to find out it, it wasn't exactly true. Maybe the source that he got it from was a plant, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Because they make a point to, for you to understand that uh, Blomkus is a well-known, very well-renowned journalist. He's respectable. Mm-hmm. So this is very <laughs> out of character. But in the book, they really do a better explanation of why, um, what's it, Werner Strom? Yeah, Werner Strom. And that was another thing that is a departure between the book and the movie. Because in the book, he has this very lengthy flashback to the conversation that he has with the old school friend who gave him the initial information. Mm-hmm. That conversation in the book, and this is part of the reason why I had such a difficult time getting through the book at first. During the entire conversation, all I pictured was black and white film, two guys sitting across from each other, smoking cigarettes, wearing turtleneck sweaters, having the most monotone conversation in the world. Yeah, it's rough to get through because it, it, they're just talking about business and like really dry politics, like not even juicy political scandals, just dry stuff. They give you that backstory and there is a reason for it, but you don't find out until about 550 pages later. Yeah, it's almost like the beginning of the book sets up the end yeah. of the book and that the mystery is just the middle. So all of this is happening, the business stuff and the scandal is all really, really far in the background. And all of a sudden you're done with the mystery and now we're going yeah. back to this. I think the book definitely does a better um, job of setting you up for mm-hmm. that. Where in the movie, it's kind of like, oh, that's over and done with. We're moving on to something else. And then all of a sudden you thought you're done with the movie. And it's like, but wait, there's more. And you're like, why? <laughs> Who is this guy? I fr- We've spent two hours following Daniel Craig getting tortured in, in basement. Like, what? I- what are we doing mm-hmm. with this? So, And then also at the beginning of the book, we first see interaction between Blomquist and what's his face? Henrik. Uh, Henrik first approaches mm-hmm. him with this idea. Hey, do you want to write uh, my autobiography? But that's just a cover for finding out what happened to Harriet. We meet Lisbeth for the first time. Horrible stuff with Lisbeth and Bjerman starts 
in the beginning mm. of the book. And that is rough to get through. Also, Michael, he does agree to take the job. And I said this for the sake of last week, for people who listened last week, but he kind of Andy Sachs his way through uh, the beginning of the research. He's like, this is pointless, oh, yeah. this is stupid. I'm going to go through the motions, but I'm not really going to put my heart into it. And I'm going to complain about it He's the whole like, time. I'm going to hang out, eat sandwiches. Yeah, yeah I'm going to go up to the yeah. cafe and hang out. I personally think the whole first half of the book and even the movie is just a lot of setup for this sort of twist and then, you know, bring it yeah. back home. But the movie, I think the movie does a better job of connecting you to the characters for the rest of the for the rest of the story. Where in the book, I almost felt like the author was just like, "Hey, these are important characters. You should pay attention." And then you're like, "Okay." I tend to disagree with that just a little bit. Yes, the beginning of the book, it is throwing a lot of names at you and background and things Mm -hmm. like that. But I felt more connected to the book characters than I did the movie because I felt in the movie there was a lot of this happened, this happened, this happened. And they're supposed to be connected, all of those events, but you don't understand why they're connected, really. It's just throw a piece of information at you, move on to the next piece of information. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I think in the movie, yeah, following the plot is is so difficult. I don't even think they're, I don't even think the director had a really firm grasp on the plot of that movie and i think that's because they did such a departure from the book there wasn't even like material for them Mm -hmm. to follow i posted something a while ago when we were working through the research phase this work i said i don't understand how this movie can and this movie and this book can be exactly the same but also nothing alike at the Mm -hmm. same time it's the strangest sensation to sit there and go wait this feels like it's the same thing but it's Mm -hmm. not because the beginning of the book in the beginning of the movie, like we said, exactly the same, except all of a sudden there's little things where he doesn't have jail time, which I can understand why you wouldn't adapt that into the movie, because how do you fit that into the storyline and, and without making the movie three hours long, where, oh, now I have to go to prison. I have to stop what I'm doing to go to prison. Where in the book, even in the book, it was kind of weird, um, but maybe it's because I watched the movie first. Well, in the, but he does it in a way where it's... Book- they just talk about, okay, he has to go to report to go to jail on this day. And then all of a sudden you turn the page and it's, well, I got out a month early and he talks about the experience in jail, but you don't actually see anything that happens while he's in jail. Yeah. And I also think it would just be sort of choppy in the Mm -hmm. movie to just stop the progression. Um, And then also in the book, I believe how Lisbeth comes into the story makes a bit more sense. And I, I, I want to say it's not a crazy departure from the book in the movie because it kind of goes around the same where he's like, hey, I need a research assistant. But they definitely introduce Lisbeth quicker mm-hmm. in the movie than they do the book. And, and when I say introduce, I mean introduce her to Mikhail. Uh, because she's there from the beginning in the book, which also to me it was a little confusing because I'm waiting for her to like sort of meet up with Mikhail and start that story. But you have more of her story mm-hmm. first that you don't get in the movie. You're following her. You do have the scenes where they, the movie definitely made a, a point to keep all the sort of brutal stuff, all the sexualized stuff from the book into the movie. I would argue that 
her scene with her guardian. So the way it's set up, uh, both the book and the movie is Lisbeth is basically like a ward of the Mm -hmm. state. You don't really understand why at first, but she has to report um, to a, and I think in Sweden how they do it is like a lawyer. Um, It's not like a social worker how it is here. So she's supposed to report, but her guardian at the time, and they definitely in the book give more description, right, for who this guy is and how this came to be and how she became, like, he became her guardian and all that stuff. And it's it's like a very, you know, heartstring pull kind of story. In the movie, it's more like he's there, he got sick, now she needs mm-hmm. a new one. And then we're introduced <clears throat> to the the new guardian. What's I'd say Beerman. Beerman. So in the book... I don't know if you caught this. He, the way the author describes him is he's, he's a pretty handsome Mm -hmm. dude. Like he's fit. He plays tennis. He's blonde. He's like classically handsome. But in the movie, you're introduced to this sort of fat, hairy. When you look at him, he looks Mm -hmm. cringy. Like he doesn't even have to open his mouth and you're already like, so I was wondering why in the movie they had to portray that character in that way. Where, what, and you don't spend a lot of time with him before he starts doing really creepy stuff, you know, like asking her really sexualized questions, you know, about STDs and what if she's ever done, like, I think anal. Yeah, in, in, the, one of in the, the questions. Book, he even asks her what position she prefers. Right. And it, she's just like, what, why are you asking yeah. me this? So here we have this guy, he's asking these questions where I think any decent human being is going, what why are you why are you asking these questions this is super creepy and inappropriate Mm -hmm. and the total abuse of power so i really want to understand why in the movie they're like we got to make him look like a dirtbag we have to make him look like he is because i feel like that's really disingenuous because the way it's described in the book it is true as well Mm -hmm. So not everyone looks creepy that is yeah. creepy. I think that the reason why they had him portrayed the way he was in the movie is because it ends up making the things that he does, which, first of all, disgusting, absolutely awful. Portraying him the way that they do in the movie makes it that much more disgusting. I know, but is that is that bad that we we believe that? I think it is. Yeah, that I think it's really we, bad. Like, don't make excuses for people. Beautiful people are just as yeah. capable of doing awful things as not beautiful people. So that, there's obviously a, a then a thought where the studio goes, well, we have to cast them to look way worse than how he's described in the book so that people actually connect with how bad this is. And that, to me, is, is disturbing in its own right. So anyway, Lizbeth... I guess this new uh, guardian and up until this point she had control of her finances even in the book she's has her own apartment is she sort of living in squalor yes but she's doing that by her own choice and she even describes in the book I think you don't really get this in the movie because there's not a ton of time to have these sort of inner monologues for Lisbeth you don't get a, a ton of exposure to her outside of the role that she's playing for this Mm -hmm. case um there's a few little things they do where she hooks up with a girl at a club and brings her home which i don't know if they're trying to portray that as like uh like dangerous or bad decision making or she's impulsive i think that's what they're trying to portray which also is is weird because in the book It doesn't say she's strictly heterosexual. I think it kind of alludes that she's bisexual, but she prefers men. She's had more male 
sexual partners and she has female but it's funny that the movie was like no we're gonna pick up on the on the, the well lesbian and the here. other thing is is in the book the girl that she goes home with she, she has knows a, her. a relationship with her it's yes it's kind of like michael and erica it's casual sex there's nothing and in the movie it makes it seem like it's just a yeah. random hookup that she brings yeah. home what i'm trying to get to here is this whole premise of this book especially if you think about the the, and the original name of it is Men Who mm-hmm. Hate Women. Because there's a lot of stuff going in here that is just, it's traumatic and it's terrible and women are going through a lot of stuff. And here we are in the movie adaptation. They're trying to, they're trying so hard to make Elizabeth like this badass bitch. Even departing from how she's described in the book so much where, you know, she does talk. You know, she does have friends that she goes and hangs out with. She's not completely antisocial. She just thinks differently. Um, she has sort of a, a really sort of a friendly working relationship with her boss. You know, she she's not completely socially mm-hmm. inept. Where the movie is trying to portray her is just this absolute badass hardcore bitch, and how and the only way they can do that is how she's just completely cut off and she's just rude all the time and doesn't have any friends and is living in. I don't even know how to describe it. I don't want to call it squalors. It's just, it's not a nice. Well, apartment. and going, going um, and back she, with the friends thing too, uh, the relationship between her and plague in the book different than in the movie, because in the movie, it seems like they're barely acquaintances. Uh, they mm-hmm. have seemingly a lot of animosity for each other. It's like, did you bring it? This isn't enough. Well, here it is anyway. And she leaves. But in the book, there's a little bit more interaction with them and they seem a little bit more friendly. Yeah, like they're just both awkward Mm -hmm. people, but it doesn't mean they don't get along. But so back to the thing is like, here we are having Hollywood do this adaptation and there's things in the movie which I feel like are just super disingenuous and almost misogynist in their, their own right while they're trying to portray like a, a thing that's like female empowerment. It's like, but this this girl, this... Oh, oh, here's another thing. In the book, she's 24. In the movie, they're like, she's 23. Why did they have to age her down by a year? What what is there is the not a whole lot of difference between twenty three and twenty four. I know this because I've been there. Yeah, yeah so there's one thing they age her down, and then she's a war, she's a war of the state per se. She has his guardian. Let's get back to him Ugh. again. I'm kind of going on a tangent, but he's disgusting. And Hollywood's like, well, we have to make him disgusting to make what's about to happen seem really mm-hmm. bad. And it's like, no, the guy in the book is like a a play, like a, not a playboy, I wouldn't say that. He's just like a classically handsome guy who used his position and power to manipulate and sexually abuse one of his female clients. And there's no difference in what he did because he looks grosser in the movie. I feel like that is just, I, I have, it does not sit right with me. The whole time, when I saw the movie first, and when I started reading the book, I was like, wait, he's like a pretty dude. Why, why would we, <laughs> why are we not showing that in the movie? Anyway, you know what, maybe I'm, I've been drinking a little much. I'm getting off on like, I'm on a pedestal here. I'm up on my soapbox. But that's one of the things to me. I'm like, I just don't know why we had to do that. I get it that if you make him look uglier and grosser, you know, then we're automatically just completely repulsed and it's disgusting. 
but it's still just as repulsive and disgusting if it's a pretty Yeah, guy. I think it was definitely an unnecessary move. I have known plenty of what society would generally term as pretty people, and they are not the best people. They're monsters, mm-hmm. yeah. Look at Ted Bundy, yeah. Jesus. So what uh, her guardian does is now that he's taking control of her finances and making her completely reliant on him, he starts this kind of quid pro quo with her where like, here, if you do something for me, I'll I'll give you more money. You know, like I need money to get food or I need money because my laptop broke. I need a new laptop. Uh, and the first instance is he, they're in his office and he forces her to uh, perform oral sex mm-hmm. on him. And it, it, it goes this way in the book and the movie as well, even though in the movie we're introduced to it a lot quicker because I think the movie just wants to like speed up like here, a lot of bad shit has happened to her. Let's get her past this so we can jump into the story where you wait a while in the book before this happens. So Lizbeth then decides, well, I'm going to get back at him. You know, I'm going to catch him. I'm going to blackmail him or whatever. I'm going to get out of this deal. It doesn't actually go as to plan because what happens is, and this is both the book and the movie is pretty similar how it happens. Um, she calls with this request for money. He says, well, how about you meet me at my apartment instead of my office, which she, I don't think she was expecting. So she shows up with the intent to video him, record him. And she's thinking she's going to have to, you know, do more oral sex and that'll be it. But he basically hand, like grabs her, knocks her out and then she wakes up or comes to and she's either handcuffed or tied to the bed. And then he starts with his little villain monologue. In the movie, he sodomizes her. He rapes her physically. In the book, I believe he uses a device. Yes. I don't think it makes a difference. It is what it is either way. And it is absolutely brutal. Well, both the book and I the think, movie. I think part of the reason why it kind of threw me off that they changed it from the book to the movie was because of what he did to her in the book. She then revisits on him. Yeah. Where in the movie, she does that because she comes back and has like the same instrument Mm -hmm. that he used in the book. He just, he didn't use that Mm -hmm. in the movie. So I think there would have been more of a connection Mm -hmm. to it. It doesn't, at this point, I don't think it makes any sense, but I was also curious as to why they made that change. Like is the one more so rape than the other? I don't think so. And maybe we're, we're looking a little bit too deep into this, but it is women's history month. This book is supposed to be a book about the, absolute atrocities that happen to women across the world still to this day that are committed by men because the way certain social structures are still Mm -hmm. set up you know it's true i'm not going to go on this sort of like rant about it but it's true in the book i think the author's intent is to highlight that and there's even quotes in, in front of a lot of the chapters and parts where you know statistics about sexual assault in sweden um, so, for example, here's one. It says 18% of the women in Sweden have had have at one time been threatened by a man. You know, so he's putting facts like that throughout. And then now we have the movie taking this and making these changes, s- small as they might be, but I think they're just, they're detrimental to the overall mm-hmm. point and, and argument here. So that's why we're, we're going off on a little bit of a rant about this section. Anyway, though. So here we are. We... 
we get through the beginning of the book and the be- and the sort of beginning of the movie. We're introduced to the characters, what they're going through, and now we're have this opportunity from Henrik, who he wants to understand what happened to his great niece. So it's his, or no, it's his brother's Mm -hmm. granddaughter who went missing during this day in 1966. He believes she was murdered. Before we move on to the meat of this, I do want to make note of what I think is the most interesting part of the beginning of the movie is the opening credits. (laughs) <laughs> the amount yeah. of work and money and production that went into this was just it was mind-blowing i think they spent more money on the opening credits than they did for like half of the that or maybe the yeah. editing they spent more money on the opening than yeah, they did probably. the editing it if you've seen it i don't know if if you agree with me but it reminds me of like a a, a morph between the american horror story intros and a james bond intro which i thought was fitting since we have daniel craig there and just so we know uh jackie's birthday is next month so she went ahead and picked the adaptations we're going to be featuring on our podcast uh, and i <laughs> it, it it's an interesting picks um i i agreed to all of them but jackie is forewarned that once we get into spooky season uh i'm, I'm gonna hate my life I'm and i'm gonna get my, my husband even though he really enjoys the movies, is going to be forced to sit down and watch them with me in either broad daylight or with every last light on in the house. It's going to be awful. <laughs> but I'll do it for you, listener. I will do it for you. All right. All right. We are finally now into the meat of this story. We've, as Jackie said, we've made it to that 50% mark on her Kindle <laughs> progress where shit starts to actually happen and i i we don't want to say that like it, the beginning is boring it's just one of those very very complex stories that needs a lot of introduction and setup for it to kind of make sense so i don't hate it but it's just a fact it's a reality we have to live with with this story so here we are we have uh my, Mikael, Michael, Blomkis, Blomkis, whatever. Uh, I started calling him Mika when I was reading the book. Uh, again, it's not right, but please don't sue us. He's up north in Sweden on this island, Hedeby or something? Hedestad? Or, or yeah, Hedeby. Hedeby something. Yeah. And it's near, it's, it's sort of near Uppsala, um, yeah. if anyone watches Vikings. That's for some context. That's how I remember it. I read something that the island that he's on is the only fictional place in the whole book. All the yeah, other places that map. they mention are the right are are the same. Yeah, so there's a map in the beginning of the book where it shows you where it's supposed to be. So the rest of it is is right, is accurate. Um, but then they just added this little island in there, and it's a very very small, and it's a cute little bridge that you get over. So it's not like out in the middle of the water or anything. Uh, Mikhail is there. He's agreed to take on this job. He's starting to investigate the disappearance of Harriet. In the movie, he really doesn't start to make progress until Lisbeth comes into the picture. He does some stuff with the pictures, and then he requests a research assistant, and he goes back to Fro- Frode, Freud, the lawyer of the of Henrik. Uh, who originally hired him 
And he's like, oh, well, we we might have one that absolutely works because they use Lisbeth to do a background study on Mikhail before they hired him. So that's how Lisbeth is now brought into this circle. So they go, he reads the report from Lisbeth and he's like, holy shit, she knows a lot about me. Um, and then like ends up randomly at her apartment. And this is after she has that one night stand with the chick. So that's awkward. And again, it, it's a really weird sort of setup where he just shows up there and she's like, what do you want? Who are you? Are you going to hurt me? Because she's been abused. And she, this random dude just shows up and he's so cocky about it too. I hated it in the movie where he's just like, oh, I brought bagels. Here I go. I'm coming and put coffee. You might want to ask her to leave. I'm like, who do you think you are? <laughs> Get out of my apartment. But she reluctantly lets him in and he shows her, he tells her the story of like, I'm trying to find a killer of women. Because uh, at this point, what he sort of discovered is there's more going on on this island and with this family than just the disappearance of the niece, Harriet. So in the movie, Elizabeth comes in and now they start to make like rapid progress with this story and it just starts to like skyrocket you're like oh hold up wait up for me in the book i personally feel that it was a bit more smooth and steady and lisbeth comes into the story a bit later and mikhail's already made a lot of progress on his own yeah because his daughter came and visited him and she made the connection which she helps him make the connection in the movie as well between mm. the the names or the initials with the five digits he half-heartedly Andy Sachs like did some cursory kind of research on what those numbers might mean but just kind of gave up well it's a mystery that can't be solved and then his daughter helps him make the connection which also again happens in the movie he has made some significant progress. He found out that there was a, a person in the window of Harriet's room and he immediately thinks that it's Cecilia uh, and he wants to confront her, but he doesn't because he doesn't want her to be seen in a bad light with her family. Uh, he also uh, gets hooked up with Lisbeth at this time uh Henrik this is when he has his heart attack and he's in the hospital so now he's answering to Froda um and then uh there's a lot of stuff with pictures and newspaper clippings yeah in the movie I think it's easier it's more palatable to get through that part because it's more like a montage, which, by the way, when he gets <laughs> yeah. reports from the all the detectives' reports and stuff, so this is montage where he's looking at this and pictures, and he's reading the reports, and he's drinking coffee in his cabin because what else would he be doing? He he's highlighting things, mm -hmm. but if you watch it, he's literally highlighting every line, yeah, every single line, yeah, highlight, highlight, highlight. So I'm like, what are you what are you picking out from this page? That's important because every single line is highlighted. So, so then Lisbeth comes in and again, rapid fire. And then all of a sudden, like in the movie, we're, we're supposed to put together that Martin had something to do with this. And then um, he ends up at Martin's house in his torture chamber. And then Lisbeth just finally, she kind of puts it together at the same time, but at a different location. And she comes in to save the day. And this happens in the book too. Yeah. I don't know if it felt as rushed in the book. I can't remember. But I also have, I had a sense that the author was like, shit, I got to kind of put this stuff together now. 
Well, the timeline of events between him going over to Martin's house and ending up in the torture basement uh, was a little bit different because in the movie, he was snooping around in the house and then Martin yeah. comes home, kind of surprises him. He tries to sneak out the back. He falls down the hill and then Martin invites him in, uh, which comes up a little bit later where he's like, you knew something was wrong. And you still came you in. You could have left, but you decided to come back in. That was your choice. So, so everything that I'm going to do to you. Yeah. <laughs> everything I'm going to do to you right now is going to be your fault. Uh, whereas in the book, he makes the connection. Also, Lisbeth makes the connection independently of him. And he's like, you know what? I think is a great idea. I think I'm going to go over to Martin's house and talk to him right now i think he wanted about... to go confront him yeah and martin it has a gun in his hand and he's like come on in yeah so what? it, it makes more sense it makes more sense yeah. in the book because he's holding the gun to him like come yeah. in at that point you're like okay if i turn around he's probably gonna shoot me there's really no reason he wouldn't shoot me but in, the, in movie, the book he's just yeah. like you want some coffee <laughs> And in, in, in the book, uh, he spends a lot of time. It's like, well, I got myself into this now. I need to figure out a way to prolong this so that I don't die in the next five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so there's a lot of information that just seems to come out just so quickly at this part. Um, you have the realization that Harriet was being molested by mm -hmm. her father and her brother. Mm -hmm. um, then you have the realization that when the father dies, her, Harriet's father, because that was part of the story, um, that Martin, her brother, just, just picks it back up and is even more so. And then there's also her dad. What they're finding out is the dad is like basically a serial killer. And the what they come up with, both the movie and the book, is that he's like a spokesman. <sighs> for the company that the family owns so he's spending this time going across the country and going into other areas and for these events you know groundbreaking events like basic corporate bullshit and there are murders of women that happen at these locations that coincide with when he was there that's what the connection is so elizabeth finds that so does uh mikhail so they're like well, what are these dates after because there's a a murder or two that happens after the death of, excuse me, the father. Um, and that's where Martin comes in and they're like, oh, it must be Martin. So you find out that not only was her father molesting her, her brother was also molesting and raping and torturing her because it wasn't just, it wasn't just rape. It wasn't just a sexual assault that was happening. It was like degradation type stuff. I think she makes a comment of they would like urinate on her Mm -hmm. um and that sort of thing like it just all any bad thing that you can think of that was what was happening so that comes so michael wants to go confront him in the book but in the movie he's like snooping he wants to figure it out and then kind of gets stuck but like jackie said he agrees to go back in the house there's no gun to his head and then like he goes willingly down into the basement which is another in the book it makes sense because you have the gun being held mm -hmm. to you. you're like all right this sucks in the movie he's like okay i guess i'll go down into the basement and i'm thinking too you have daniel craig not to say that the character is the actor but he is sort of described as the same like build makeup and martin the brother 
the guy, the torture chamber guy, is like supposed to be kind of short and chubby in mm-hmm. the book. In the movie, not so much because he's played by uh, Stellan Skarsgård, who's not built that way, but he's not like buff either. So I'm thinking James Bond can take on Dad Bod, mm-hmm. right? But yeah. no, he's just like I'm. Just gonna, you don't have a gun. You have nothing to me. I'm just going to go down into your creepy basement. Um, which then he gets gassed in the movie, but that's not what happens in the book. No. He's totally conscious and coherent whenever he gets, like, locked up or whatever. Yeah. Put in the noose and all that other fun stuff. But I I did like this note that I made that Lisbeth, in both the book and the movie, comes to save his ass. Mm-hmm. And I say that Lisbeth shows up and goes all happy Gilmore on Martin. Yeah, with the golf club. Yeah, yeah. That I did like that they kept that the same. Yeah. Um, and she does chase Martin down. Um, and but okay, so in the movie, this is another thing that they changed, which I thought was really weird. So she beats him with the club, and she's trying to get Michael untied, and Martin escapes, and she's like, "I'm gonna go get him." So she goes after him. He gets in his truck. She gets on her bike and starts speeding after him. In the movie, he, he like, basically loses control and skids over the bridge and, I think, hits the store or something and, like, the car mm-hmm. blows up. Yep. But in the book, it was more like a suicide. Yeah, he intentionally drives into oncoming traffic when a truck is coming and offs himself. Which I think makes more sense because he's on the run from her. But he knows that there's nowhere to go because mm-hmm. it's already out. They put everything together. His life is over. He's going to go. He, he can't live a normal life, even if he escapes. If, he, if They're going to find him. They're going to put him in prison or, or whatever, you know. Um, so in the book, him driving into oncoming traffic, which I think is like a big truck. It makes sense because that would be, I think, how you're thinking at that point, right? You're like, there's nothing else. Um but in the movie, I make it seem like it's an accident. Like, it's reckless because they're speeding. He's trying to get away, but not on purpose. Yeah, Which I because even movie. then, she starts walking towards the car that he's trapped in that's on its side. His face is totally mutilated from the golf club, which mm-hmm. I had a difficult time looking at the screen whenever they showed him full-on front, like, the way his face was deformed oh, because yeah. of her whack. Yeah. Uh, but she has the gun, uh, which she did not have in the book. Uh, and she's approaching the car because she's going to want to shoot him. And she even asked Michael before she left him in the <laughs> can basement. I kill him? Still trick kick. Can I, can I kill him? Yeah. And he has a panicked look on his face. But then all of a sudden it goes boom. Boom. Which yeah. probably wouldn't have happened in real life anyway, but that's Hollywood for you. Yeah. There was Cars a just spark don't explode. That, yeah. yeah, there was a Cars spark don't that, explode magicked, like that it magicked its way into the, the scene, and it went boom. Yes. So, so there we go. And then there we've... I feel like there's lots of different storylines going on, so that's one of them. Martin's out of the way. He killed a bunch of women. Um, in the movie, they kind of just, like, leave it like that, where, cool, he's dead. But in the book, Lisbeth definitely has a stand where she goes, like, we need to put this information out because there are women that were murdered that their families have no idea what happened to them and they will never get justice. 
mm-hmm. but the you know Henrik and them are like, well, can we not? You know, I'm just gonna make the family look really bad. Like, no shit, Sherlock. We, of course, like, like your, your your nephew was up on a hill torturing women for the last thirty years, and yeah. nobody, nobody, because they're all like bickering with each other. So nobody's none the wiser that they have a fucking serial killer in the family or multiple because the, there's other family members that were doing sick shit too. Um, so well, she essentially ends up blackmailing them saying, if you want me to keep quiet, you're going to do everything you can to identify the women that Martin mm-hmm. killed and send like reparations to their families. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which and they make, agree to. Uh, donate. Yeah. Make donations to the women in crisis and children in crisis. So we have that. I want to backtrack just a minute. Cause something we didn't talk about, we got wrapped up in some other stuff. A major departure from the book to the movie, which I, I didn't know why this was necessary. In the book, there's definitely something that happens between Lisbeth and uh, Michael McKell. But it's not explicit. And it's sort of... That's why I call it that situationship. Like, maybe they hooked up. Maybe they're, I don't think they go into detail like they do about him and Cecilia in the book. Mm-hmm. But in the movie, I mean, there's almost like a montage of sex scenes between them. And then there's that random one after he gets shot and he's all like crying like a baby in the bathtub. And she's like, Oh, come here. And then just starts having sex with them. It's so mm-hmm. random. Where in the book that like, he's, I think he has a more appropriate reaction in the book than he does the movie. Cause in the mo- in the book, he's pissed. Like somebody mm-hmm. shot at him and he's in the shower. He's, he's like livid and he's angry and he's like lashing out at people. And he's like, I'm fucking going deal with this. Where in the book, in the movie, she's like, oh, man, oh, this hurts. Oh. <laughs> yeah, he's right? crying like a little baby in the bathtub. He's like, and why now can't I'm we gonna, just I'm put some tape on it? Why do you have to sew it up? Yeah. That, and, and then also, he's just... she's the one that sews him up in the movie, whereas in the book, they take him to a hospital and he gets to Yeah, because she doesn't know. She's, she's not a medic. She doesn't know what she's doing. She doesn't even try. Which is, an, again, weird that they're doing, they're, they're putting these traits on this female character that just don't belong there. And yeah. then the whole, like, her initiating the, the sex thing, which she kind of does in the book a little bit, because she's like, I think I like him, but I think he likes mm-hmm. me too. It's just her way of being sort of socially awkward and her trying to test those waters. Yeah. Um, but it, it, I think in the movie, it just is a little bit too much. We're like, no, yeah, they're here. They're they're shacking up together. They're working together. They must also, like, obviously, be fucking. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's... Uh... Sorry, Brian. Sorry, Brian. <laughs> all right so we are we we wrapped up one storyline or kind of two because the dad and martin and then it's like okay but then what happened to harriet and the reason harriet's not lumped up into that oh well we got martin so everything's good it's because even in the book and the movie they're like um it comes up between the little torture scene when he's beating the shit out of daniel craig's character uh he says oh yeah because you killed harriet and he's like no, like what? No, what? Ha- or he said something about Harry. He's like, well, what happened to her? Did you find out? What did you find out? And it's mm-hmm. clear that the brother has no idea what happened to his sister and also wants yeah. to know. So now they're back to square one. They're like, oh, I thought we, this was a closed deal, but still where's Harriet? And this is where I think even in the book and the movie, granted they have completely different endings, but it still felt like the author was like, oh, what do I do now? Oh, oh, weird, a random hacker team. Let's do that. So 
they go to London in mm-hmm. no 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 is it in both yeah it's both they, so they go to London and all of a sudden there's just this team they describe it a little bit better in the book right about where these people come from and how Elizabeth knows them but yep. in the movie they just are there and they're coming mm-hmm. out they bug this person's house which is supposed to be Anita um, which is Harriet's cousin so and then out of nowhere okay you describe the book ending first and then I'll describe the movie ending yeah it's not even the ending yeah and and the way it it, the way it works in the book is I think they start to make the connection because Michael has always thought that it was Cecilia in Harriet's bedroom window but then he starts finding pictures of everybody in the family and he notices that Cecilia and Anita look almost exactly alike and he knows that Anita is living in London so they go there and there is a gap you never find out why they think that she would know where Harriet is because at this point I guess they're starting to doubt that Harriet ever died Mm -hmm. and they know that Anita is the weakest link in that mystery because she and Harriet were so close with each other. So like you said, random hacker team go to Anita's house in London. He confronts Anita. I can't remember exactly what is said, but then as soon as he leaves the house, he goes back into this creepy van and they start listening into a phone conversation because as soon as he leaves, Anita makes a phone call. And at that point in the book, yes, at that point in the book, I'm like, Harriet's alive. Yeah. Because, and like, he, I don't, my, I don't know where that came from, but yeah, she's but it's like it's like this epiphany. They're like, oh, she's not dead. Yeah. Um and he goes and there he goes under the guise Australia. of Australia. Yeah, yeah. So he goes to Anita under the guise of like, hey, I'm letting you know that uh, Martin's dead, and she's like, mm-hmm. I don't care. <laughs> like, yeah, both both the book and the movie, the Anita, the quote unquote Anita, is like, I don't, I don't care. I don't. Mm-hmm. Good, thanks. Now leave. Um, in the book, yeah, uh, they get the immediate call and they track it to Australia. In the movie, same thing under the guise of Martin says, she says she doesn't care. They hack their stuff, they're watching, she doesn't do anything. She's just like chilling. Um, and then so- something happens that they put it together and I don't know how. If somebody has watched this movie and understands it, let us know. But all of a sudden they're like, oh, Anita is Harriet. Mm-hmm. And Harriet is the one that's living in London under Anita. And finally they confront, like they find her later and they're talking to her. Um, and and uh, Harriet under now Anita's like, yeah, Anita and her husband helped me get out. I came over on their passport. I took her name. They died in a car accident several years ago. So I've just been living under this name. And then she goes back and meets um Henrik and, you know, happy ever ending, whatever, blah, 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 blah. But in the book, she's Australia. So now mm-hmm. Mikhail has to go to Australia and tracks her down. And so in the book, everyone that was involved in this disappearance is still alive. Anita, whatever, Harriet. Harriet has children. She's running some sheep farm or something in Australia. One of the biggest in Australia. Yeah, like it did make a big point that she's successful and she's doing all this. And it's like, great. And then they also bring her back. And I think the point is that she's going to take over running the company. And then they have this relationship with the magazine, which is all like tangential stuff. We didn't get really into it here. I don't think it moves the plot in any way. 
Um, so there's that. So we're like, okay, cool. Harriet's alive. Yay. And you think that it ends there, but no, it doesn't. But wait, there's more. Because remember, remember all the bullshit that happened in the beginning with all the business crap? Now we have to sort that out because we can't just leave it alone. In the, I think in the movie, it's more Lisbeth that wants to track it all down where Mikhail's like, oh, whatever, it's over and go back to the magazine. That's how it feels. But definitely in the book, it's, not that way where Mikhail really he wants to get his well there's there's the thing in the movie and the book actually because one of the parts of the deal that Michael agreed to to write this book quote uh but also investigate the disappearance of Harriet was that um Henrik and Dirk promised him information on Vanerstrom mm-hmm. and they give him the information that they have but it's absolute garbage because it's because the it'll, statute it'll of limitations do, is yeah statute of limitations statute of limitations has passed and also it's stuff that would more hurt this guy's reputation than actually like get him jail time or anything right <clears throat> yeah it's just sort of again it's yeah. more slander per se yeah and so Lisbeth in her investigation of Michael at the beginning she got tuned in to the name Bernerstrom a little bit and she started doing her own independent research on him and she happens to be in the background when Michael is yelling at Dirk about this information that they promised him which was garbage and she goes oh he's a gangster and then she gives him all of this information so that he can write this book essentially and they put excerpts of it or something in the magazine and it's the whole issue of the magazine or edition of the magazine uh, about how this guy's a gangster and while he doesn't ultimately end up serving any jail time he goes on the run and Lisbeth uh, kind of turns some people on to his location that might be looking for him because he is not able to repay debts because while all of that is going on, she makes a lovely little trip down to Zurich, Switzerland, and drains his accounts. Right, which in the movie, it makes for a cool little um, Ocean's Eleven type mm-hmm. scene. I, I don't know. But it's it almost seems like she's working completely independent of anything else, which she kind of is in the book. Um, but you also have Mikhail's like him writing the book and... Uh, other stuff he's researched, he goes up and like stays in a cabin and he's like a recluse writer up there. You don't get that in the movie. No. And it's not a lot at all. of stuff that happens where I think maybe they just assumed a lot of people read and already knew what was happening in the background. Because there's even stuff in the beginning of the movie that Elizabeth is doing. Like she's going and, and tapping um, some servers in uh, Wernerstrom's building. I didn't even know that's what she was doing until I read the book. There's just mm-hmm. a scene of her sneaking into a building and you don't know what she's doing. Maybe somebody who's smarter than me does, but I didn't understand it. And at the end, she's just draining his bank account. She's being like a little spy, a little hacker spy. But then you're just, where did the money go? What uh, Did she take it? What is, and then Mikhail's just sort of like just hanging out in the magazine, like cool. Like mm-hmm. nothing's nothing's wrong in his world anymore he's he's happy as a pig and shit 
so it's weird. I think the movie is just all over the place in regards to the plot. So you end the movie with you're thinking like it's a happy ending. We found Harriet. She's alive. Um, she's back with her uncle. That's great. Uh, Werner Strom's been brought down, even though you didn't realize he was that big of a character in the movie. Um, you didn't realize he was Mikkel's nemesis. But it's <laughs> just like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, we brought down a bad guy. Um, and then uh, Elizabeth, you know, has her closure with the Guardian where she sort of has him under her boot um, to not, you know, mess with it anymore. And you think everything's great until Elizabeth is clearly uh, not, inf- I don't want to say infatuated. I feel like that's too strong a word, but she likes Mikhail and they spend all this time together. They're close and she, it's coming up to Christmas time again. This, this timeline is about a full year in, in the book. The chapters go by like, it's this date to this date, etc. So she makes a comment in the movie like, oh, it's Christmas time again. Then you see her going and buying, I think it's like a leather jacket or something. Yeah, it's a custom yeah. leather jacket. Yeah, and the, and the guy in the store is like, oh, this must be like a really good friend. So she's clearly getting him a Christmas present and she gets on the bike and she's going to go up and give it to him. But she sees him leaving with... Uh, Erica, I, you know, I, I kept wanting to call her Rebecca this whole time. Even in the book, <laughs> I would like read her name as Rebecca, and I don't know why. Anyway, sees them like leaving arm in arm, happy as whatever. And so she's upset and throws the gift out and like zooms off on her bike. And this is where I'm talking about how I did not realize I was invested in this situation ship till this happens. And I had like little tears. And I was like, oh, oh, that's sad. And I don't know why. I don't know why I was invested. I don't know why I care. It was a weird relationship they had in the first place. He never made any, like, promises to her. He never even indicated that he was going to stop messing around with Erica. It it was just so casual and weird that she felt heartbroken. You could tell she was heartbroken at the end. Which, that's how we leave off with the movie, where I just kind of stood up and went, Okay. Just flip a table. There's that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, and that's it, where you're left with. Yeah, and, and and then the book, it does that scene a little bit more justice because she is in this process of manically cleaning her apartment. Mm-hmm. And I think she even makes the comment in her monologue, again, that she's never cleaned like this before. And she wants to be pissed off at him. She really, really wants to, but can't bring herself to be mad at him. And then she realizes, I love him. I'm going to go buy him a a sign that has Elvis on it because I know he likes Elvis and I'm going to give him that for Christmas and I'm going to tell him how I feel. And then she happens to see him also like in the movie uh, with Erica arm in arm. And she says, what a pathetic fool you are, Solander. And then throws the picture out and goes home done. Like what? What? Yeah. So we end, we end on this note of just this, Poor female character who's never had anything good happen in her life also ends on nothing good. Well, and maybe the reason for that is, is because, like I said earlier in the podcast, uh, the author delivered all three manuscripts to the publisher at the same time. So this stuff was all completed and done. Maybe he wrote it as one book and realized, wait a second, this might be a little bit too long. Maybe I'll chop it up into three different pieces. Uh, and then yeah, it would result in three different books. 
but he knew that there was a continuation so it was okay to leave a book in a cliffhanger so to speak but is that a cliffhanger that also just seems like walking off into the sunset sad well i liked your your comment it's just like a, a pretentious french movie where this feed shows up yeah in the that's exactly what it felt like it felt like we just like we we start off real slow we're just kind of like, okay, and then all of a sudden it's like, take my hand, hold on, come with me, keep up. And then all of a sudden it's like, black. And yeah. Fiend. Yeah. <laughs> it, <laughs> it was like, what happened? <laughs> all right, Jackie, Dee, and myself, we're going to go ahead and give our final reviews of both the movie and the book. I'll go first. I would say... If I could pronounce Swedish words and had even a hint of interest in, in like business or finance or, or even Swedish politics, I think I would absolutely adore this book. Um, it is slow in the beginning, yes, but it picks up and I think it ends in a way that is interesting. Uh, it would make me probably want to read the next books in the series. I don't think I was captivated but I didn't hate it. So I'm going to give it three out of five stars on like on a Goodreads review. I just, I also feel like the book could have been maybe 150 to 200 pages lighter if we didn't go into all the descriptions of how the business works and how the hacking works um, or all the coffee drinking probably would have or Michael's sandwiches or the sandwiches. Yeah. Like- yeah, the and fact the that I know stopped. that he eats, yeah, I he he eats open faced liverwurst sandwiches with eggs on them. I just I Disgusting. didn't need to know that. Yeah, the movie I'm going to go ahead and give it four out of ten, and that's not based on how I feel it did as an adaptation. I feel it it was confusing. I said in the beginning I actually had to watch the movie again. Um, just to get a grasp on what was happening. And again, that might just because I'm stupid, who knows, uh, or I was distracted by TikTok. They're both very valid, you know, possibilities. But I did have to watch it twice. And it just, it was, again, the description of really, really slow in the beginning, like, like hurry up and wait, hurry up and wait. And then you're just like holding on for dear life, trying to make it through this whirlwind of a plot. Um, and then at the end, just that black French pretentious, screen with the fit <laughs> on the end that's what it felt like to me so four out of ten jackie it's good that you went first uh i'll start with my book review uh, i didn't go into too much detail but i would give it four out of five and that's mainly because of the impact that the second half of the book had on me i agree with mel i feel like the book could have been shorter especially on the descriptions and the coffee drinking, like I've already said, the sandwiches, liverwurst and egg. Okay. That's, (laughs) that's great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, four out of four out of five on the book with the movie. I think Mel put it perfectly. I am on the same page as her four out of 10 for the same reasons. Additionally, though, I would say that I do honestly believe that reading the book first impacted my viewing of the movie. So that is part of the reason why I would give it four out of ten. That's fair. And see, I'm I'm agree. We agree. And I didn't read the book first, so the movie was just sort of a wait. What was one of those reviews? I'm just going to stand in solidarity 
with everyone else <laughs> on an abortion assist. <laughs> so close this out. We read, we watched, so you don't have to DNF. And we believe, I believe that you should read the book. And if you want to watch the movie, go for it, but don't watch the movie if you're trying to get uh, like an actual adaptation of this, like a living through the adaptation for this book. I have, I cannot speak for the Swedish ones, but from what I can tell from the reviews and the feedback for that is it is very, very true to the books and raving reviews. So if you want that sort of experience, maybe try the Swedish version. Yeah. And for me, definitely 100% without question, read the book. I, feel like maybe I should watch the Swedish versions, but honestly, I don't think I can put myself through that again, watching that stuff happen. It's one thing to read it because Mel and I both read uh, a lot of different types of books. And there are some books that we've read where we're just, okay, this is happening again. Skim, 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 mm-hmm. and then move on to the next part. Uh, if you want to go ahead and divulge what book that is, you can. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> we talk about it on our TikTok. Yeah, but uh, definitely read. Yes. All right. That is our final tally. Read The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. It's worth the read. Uh, especially if you make it farther than that one reviewer, than a third of the way through the book. Finish the book. Just power through it. You can do it. We have faith. All right, guys. Until next time. Bye. Bye.